The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Welcome to Harmony Bible Church. It is a pleasure to uh, welcome you this morning and it's great to be here in the house of the Lord. Let us uh, open with yet another word of prayer. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here today to worship you. God, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that as we look to your word, that you would grow us, change us, that none of us would leave here the same as we came, but instead that as we interact with you and your word and each other, that we would grow. God, we look forward to what you are going to do in our lives in the next few minutes. But more importantly than that, we look forward to what you are going to do as we seek to apply your word in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming years following this time. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So for those of you who are not here last week, today's message is a second part, is the second part in our four-part series called Kingdom Priorities. And it's based on the book of Haggai. So before we look at our text this morning, if you want to try to find the book of Haggai, it might take you a little while. It's uh, kind of hidden there. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible towards the back of the Old Testament. But I want to do a brief review of the material that we've covered so far. Remember, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and they invaded Jerusalem. And they destroyed the temple. And they took most of the people into captivity. And then some 50 years later, The Assyrians conquered the Babylonians. And the Assyrian king Cyrus tells the Jews that they can return to their land and rebuild it. And about 50,000 people took him up on that offer. 50,000 people did return to Jerusalem. And they began work on the temple foundation immediately upon their return. However, opposition and financial difficulty brought that construction to a halt. So the book of Haggai, if you remember, was written to this remnant of 50,000 people. It was written to these people some 16 years after the foundation for the temple had been laid, but work on it had ceased. And in chapter 1, as we looked at last week, we learned that the people were saying, the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be built. They were saying, now is not the time. They weren't saying it wasn't important, but they said, now is not the time. The time's not right. And God responds with a charge to examine their ways. He says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while my house lies desolate? And then he said, go and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased and glorified. And then that brings us to where we are today, to chapter 1, verse 11. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Haggai 1, starting actually at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see things now? Does it not seem like nothing in comparison? But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Zehozadak, the high priest. And all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of the land of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all the nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. The first point in your sermon outline is the people's response. Getting right into our text, the first point is the people's response. First, we have to consider what God was instructing them to do. So look at Haggai 1, 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and glorified, says the Lord. And then when we look at verses 12 through 15 of today's text, we see the people's response. We see that that is exactly what they did. They went up, they gathered wood, and they began to rebuild the temple. But notice first that they considered their ways. First God said, consider your ways. And they considered their ways. Haggai 1.12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, everyone, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people had reverence for the Lord. It says they obeyed and they had reverence. This word reverence is most often translated translated fear in the Scriptures. In fact, the King James Version, this verse says, the people did fear before the Lord. The term is not speaking of terror, though, but instead an awe and a respect for God. It was what was commanded of the people in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12-13, through where we read, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and love Him, and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. See, it started with fear. It said, fear and then love and serve and keep His commandments. We see that same thing in Psalm 111, verse 10, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who keep His commandments. So again, we see this fear and then keeping His commandments. Fear precedes, comes before keeping His commandments. So even before one stone was placed on top of another, Haggai says, the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord and showed reverence. They had a godly fear, a godly respect. They gave heed to His voice. They considered their ways. They realized that their ways stood in contrast to God's ways. And they had a healthy fear, a healthy reverence of Him. You see, the first act of obedience was not rebuilding the temple. The first act of obedience was considering their ways. Their first act was a heart change that moved from a desire to build their own kingdom to a desire to build God's kingdom. That was the first act of obedience. Now notice what happens next. Look at verses 13 and 13 through 15 with me. Haggai 1, 13-15. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God declares to the people, that He is with them. And He stirs them up to come and work on His house. So as we look at the people's response, we should notice that what comes first is a change of heart. Then the work on the temple follows. And this is important. Because I've been thinking this past week a lot about what our response should be as we work through the book of Haggai. And at the end of every message, week after week, I ask this question. I say, so how does all of this apply to us at Harmony Bible Church? Usually usually in those very same words, I'll I'll ask that question. You know, I've been thinking that sometimes it's easy to hear a message, but then do nothing about it. You know, I saw an interview with Francis Chan, a well-known Christian author one time, where he talked about how concerned he was for the church. In short, he said that he believes that there is a growing desire for solid preaching in churches today. But application is still lacking. He says that many are saying, wow, I heard a really challenging sermon this week. And I think this is especially true of my generation. We desire that. Wow, I heard a really, really challenging sermon this past week. And when asked, oh yeah? What are you going to do in response? The answer is almost, I think I'm going to go back next week and listen to another one. And it sounds crazy, but isn't that often what we find ourselves doing? We hear God saying to us, you know, now's not the time to build my own kingdom, your own kingdom. Now is the time 
to build God's kingdom. He says, now is not the time to build your kingdom. Is it time for you to live in a paneled house while my house lies desolate? And what do we do? We say, wow, that was convicting. And then Sunday afternoon rolls around and we go back to our old priorities and we neglect God's. And you know, before we know it, it's the end of another week, another week that really doesn't look any different than the one before. And I'm guilty of this. I'm as guilty of this as you are. We need to examine ourselves. We need to ask, what is our response to the Word of God? What has our response been? Is it a change in thinking followed by a change in direction? Because it should be. And it was for the people of Haggai's day. It was a change in thinking followed by a change in direction. So now having looked at the people's response, let's look at the Lord's promise. The second point in your sermon outline is the Lord's promise. I don't think I've ever gotten to the second point in my sermon outline in a two-point sermon this early in the game. But I assure you there's plenty more to come. The Lord's promise, number two. Look at verses 2, 1 through 9 with me. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Zehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And as for the promise which I made you when you came up out of the land of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with wealth, with the wealth of all the nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. These verses describe the second of four messages that the Lord gives to Haggai in this short book. The Lord comes to him a second time and gives him this this message. But let's consider the timing of this message. From verse 115, we learn that the, the work of rebuilding the temple began on September 21st, 520 B.C. So by our calendar, it's September 21st, 520 B.C. The people go back to work. They start building the temple. Now Haggai says that the Lord revealed this message to him, the second one, on the 21st day of the seventh month. So that's October 17th, 520 B.C. Comes a little less than a month after they began working on the temple. So they start working on the temple, and then in about three and a half weeks, the Lord comes to them and gives this new message. Now we also know from this date, and this is important, that it was the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. 
And that's what was going on in this time. The Feast of Tabernacles was meant to be a time of joy as the Israelites celebrated God's continued provision for them. They celebrated the harvest of that year while also remembering His past provision. His protection that He provided for them during the 40 years in the wilderness. See, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time to look back on the Exodus. To remember that God carried them through. He provided for them during the Exodus. He brought them into the Promised Land. And now He was providing for them still. It was an opportunity to praise God for His faithfulness. So we know that the Feast of Tabernacles is going on. And the people have been working on the temple for a little less than a month. But we can also see from this text that the people are getting pretty discouraged. It's been about 66 years since the the temple that Solomon built was destroyed. And while many of the people that had returned to Jerusalem could not say they'd seen the previous temple, probably only, only those who were 70 or older could remember the previous temple, they certainly had all heard about it. Not only did their Scriptures testify to its greatness, they had undoubtedly been told stories about the amazing structure that once stood as a testimony to all of the nations about the greatness of their God. And now, the people, they're looking around and realizing after just a month, this building doesn't seem to compare to the old one. In fact, the Lord comes to them and He says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem like nothing in comparison? See, the Lord knows their heart. He knows their discouragement. And He says, does this building not seem like nothing to you? And the question is a rhetorical one. Because He knows that it does seem like nothing compared to what once stood, compared to what once existed. You see, they haven't stopped building with their hands, but their hearts are not in it. And as they build, they become more and more discouraged and they say, this will never be. It'll never be what it once was. They long for that which is no more. They long for the days when Solomon's temple stood in all its grandeur, in all its beauty. And they say, We could never do that again. Those were the good old days. But God in verse 4 says, But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Zehozadak. He comes to to the king, he comes to the governor, and he says, Take courage. He comes to the high priest and he says, Take courage. And he comes to all the people of the land and says, Take courage. Courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. This is really remarkable. The Lord of hosts, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the one who made everyone and everything, comes to them in their discouragement. They're feeling discouraged. And he comes to them personally and says, take courage. I have a message for you. Take courage and work, for I am with you. 
And if that statement's not profound enough for the God of the universe to say, I am with you, it should have reminded them of what Moses said to their ancestors before they entered the promised land. This promise is not unique to this passage. God has said time and time again, take courage, for I am with you. As the people were about to enter the promised land, in Deuteronomy 31.6, we read, Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid or tremble at them. This is Moses speaking. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He said, be strong and courageous, for God is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He should have reminded them of what they read in Joshua 1.9, where we read, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or at the very least... It should have reminded them of what David said to Solomon about building the first temple. David spoke into Solomon's life, his son's life, in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 10, and he said, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. And then in verse 20, he said to his son, he said, Be strong and courageous. Act. Do not, be fear, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So as they're building this temple, this temple that's a shadow of what once stood, the Lord comes to them and says, Do not be afraid. Take courage, for I am with you. God is reminding them by doing so of His past faithfulness as well as His future promises. He's saying that just as I was with you in leading you out of Egypt, just as I was with you in establishing the land, just as I was with you in erecting the first temple, so I will be with you now. Now look at verse 5. If that's not clear enough, He says, As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Now don't forget, the people are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. The whole point of the holiday was to look back and remember the ways in which God had provided for them. But instead of looking upon God's past provision and being joyful, They were only discouraged. The celebration was meant to remind them that God brought them up out of Egypt and into this land. And yet today, as they look around, there's only 50,000 of them remaining. There's only a small remnant. Most of them are still still back in Babylon. There's only 50,000 people remaining. This celebration was meant to not only remind them of that, but also to remind them to be thankful for the harvest. And yet, when we read chapter 1, we learn the work has been hard. And the harvest was small. And then, 
Now today, as they're rebuilding the temple, they undoubtedly remember that it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that Solomon actually dedicated the previous temple to the Lord. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles that the temple was completed. It was completed in all of its beauty and grandeur, and Solomon dedicated it to the Lord. And now as they look back, they're discouraged. They begin to think, this thing we're working on, this temple is nothing compared to what it once was. It will never be as glorious as it was then. They may have even begun to think, begin to have thought, what are we even doing here? Maybe we should have stayed in Babylon. But God in His grace, God in His amazing grace comes to them and says, take courage, for just as I was with you in the past, so I will be with you in the future. Now look at verses 6 through 9 with me. Verses 6 through 9. The term Lord of hosts, which stresses God's sovereignty, his ultimate rule, and authority over all things, occurs five times in these verses. Five times. Haggai writes, The sovereign one says, The sovereign one says, The sovereign one says, He says it five times, The sovereign one says this. And notice what he says. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the land and the nations. I will fill this house with my glory. I will give peace. You see, he's reminding them that he is in control and that he will build his house and that he just wants them to be part of what he is doing. Furthermore, he encourages them by saying that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And surely the people understood this to mean that the temple that they were building would one day be even greater than Solomon's temple. And history proved that to be true. For in about 500 years, a man named Herod would come along, a man who was rather, uh, history would show, egotistical, and really loved building projects, wanted to make himself, make a name for himself for all of history through massive, massive building projects, and did. This Herod would come along and oversee a major expansion and renovation of that temple. That very temple. But that's just a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. These verses also point to something far greater than what Herod did. See, their ultimate fulfillment is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, the temple was a place for God to dwell among His people. It was a place for them to come and worship Him. And now Jesus has become the meeting place. And God dwells among those who are now in Christ. And this promise of the latter glory being greater than the former, it's made even more clear when we read Revelation 21. For in, the, in Revelation 21, we read the Apostle John say, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And what does he say? He says, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Jesus is the, is the better temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. 
You see, God was letting the people know that though they were building something that seemed insignificant, He was building something far better than anything they could see or imagine. Though it looked insignificant, they could only see a small piece of what was being done. And thus God says, take courage and work, for I am with you. So now our question. How do we apply all of this at Harmony Bible Church? How do we at Harmony Bible Church apply all of this? Well, number one, we need to consider our response to God's call on our lives. We need to consider what has our response been to God's call on our lives. And for some of you, you may not be a follower of Christ. For some of you, God may be calling you today to draw a line in the sand and say, God is calling me to serve Him, to live for Him, to love Him, to be obedient to Him, to receive the forgiveness that is offered, the forgiveness of sin that is only offered through Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to do that today. If you have not placed your trust in Christ, to come before God in your own words and recognize your own sin and say, I know that I am a sinner, but I know that you sent your Son to die for me in my place. And I know that on that third day He was raised from the dead and that He's coming back to rescue His people and I want to be one of His people. I encourage you to cry out and ask God for that. But for most of us, We've probably already done that. We've placed our trust in Jesus and His Gospel. We've experienced His grace and His forgiveness. We've claimed the promise that we will dwell with Him eternally. For us, we must examine our priorities and see whose kingdom we really have been building. Has it been our own or the Lord's? But you know, this was really the challenge last week. If you were here last week, that was the challenge. Whose kingdom are you building? Is it now time for you to live in paneled houses? So now we need to ask, did we do anything different this past week? Did we leave here and say, wow, that was convicting. God really spoke to me. And we're back here with nothing really having changed. See, God doesn't want us to leave here week after week saying, I really need to live for the Lord. But then never change. Our first act of obedience is a change in thinking. Considering our ways, God says. And then, but then that change in thinking needs to be followed by a change in direction. For that is true repentance. A change in direction. Just as the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people of their day, so we must also ask Him to stir us up and give us the grace that we need to live for Him. So we need to consider our response to God's call on our lives. We need to consider our response to His call. But as we do so, Number two, we also need to take courage and trust in His promises. Take courage, trust in His promises. We need to constantly remind ourselves that He has promised that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But He has also told us that He has called us to be used by Him in that process. 
Just as he told the people of Haggai's day, Go, build the temple, take courage and work, for I am with you. So he has told us, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then note, note this, the same promise. And lo, I am with you always. Go, for I am with you, he says, even to the end of the age. Now there are three very specific lessons I think we can learn from this text to guard against discouragement. Three very specific things that will help us take courage and trust in His promises. Number one, we must not idolize the past and fail to see what God is doing today. We must not idolize the past and fail to see what God is doing today. It would be wrong for me to come to Harmony and expect things to be the same as they were in my previous ministry. However, I will remember God's faithfulness in those days. I will remember His faithfulness, and I will cling to His promise that He will remain faithful in the future. And in the same way, it would be wrong for all of you to long for the past. To long for the past to such an extent that you're not actively pursuing the ministry that God has for you today. And it's easy to get there. It's easy. I wasn't even here, and it's easy for me to get there. To go downstairs and get in the closet and pull out the photos of the time you were in the lobster festival parade and you built a float that looked like a lobster trap and to say, wow, that was amazing. Or to think that at one point this building was built and that there were blood and sweat and tears that were poured into this. Or to think of people that served here faithfully, that have gone on to glory. And to think about those days and then begin to cling to them. Begin to hold on to them. That would be wrong. Instead, God says, Remember what I have done in the past and claim my promises in the future. We need to praise God for the past, knowing that if He was faithful in the past, He will remain faithful in the future. So we must not idolize the past and fail to see what God is doing today. God is at work in the midst of Harmony Bible Church. Praise Him for that. He will build His church. Number two, we don't always see immediate results from the work that God has us doing. We need to remember, we don't always see immediate results from the work that God has us doing. And we must not expect to see those results. We may host a ladies' tea like you you just had, or we may participate in St. George Days or host trunk or treat at the fire station again and not see a decision made for Christ or not see an increase in attendance. But that does not mean that God is not at work in those things. The, people's, the people of Haggai's day only worked three and a half weeks before they got discouraged. And God comes to them and gives them a vision for how glorious the project they were working on would be. However, we know from history 
that it would be nearly 500 years before Herod would rebuild the temple. And that 500 years was only a partial fulfillment of Haggai's prophecy. The, the real crux of the, of the prophecy, it wouldn't be completely fulfilled until the new heaven and the new earth are established. But the timing doesn't negate the promise. Though the results may not be immediate, we must cling to His promise that He is building His church. And number three, and please hear this one, no ministry is insignificant if God has called us to it. No ministry is insignificant if God has called us to it. I recently got a a letter from um, somebody who had said something to the extent to, to the extent of uh, we praise God for Him bringing you here, but we know that God will eventually move you on to uh, bigger things. And it broke my heart. It really did, because this ministry is not insignificant. This ministry that God has called us to here is not insignificant. As we consider the people's response, we must also consider our response. What has our response been to God's call on our lives? Have we had a change in heart followed by a change in direction? Have we committed our lives to Christ and His kingdom and not our own? And number two, as we consider the Lord's promises, we must take courage. We must take courage and trust in those promises. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. God, I praise You that You have called us to serve You. God, I pray simply and plainly that we would take courage. Take courage and work knowing that You will build Your church We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.